We're, uh, we're missing a few people who had wedding things to deal with or family in town. They might, the court rights might be in for a session today. Here's Lisa. Good. Lisa, if you need more water, there's water here on the buffet. If you'd like coffee, there's some of the pumps in the in the butler's pantry. Well, let's uh, let's thank God, dear Lord. We're grateful for this morning. We're grateful for the chance to look over the things that you would like us to achieve in life with our children, and we'd ask that you would uh, illuminate us in your Son's name. Amen. amen. Okay. Basically, we 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 looked at two basic things that aren't normally recommended in child rearing uh, circles because in child rearing, Christian child rearing circles there's general presumption that your religion is good enough to get you there uh, and nobody knows that an adult exists but here we're recommending that you abandon everything you think Christianity should be and build what Jesus Christ expects Christianity to be in your life, in your home Second, that um, you realize what it is to be an adult, what it is to be better than your child, because so much rests on that because of the humility of the child, which is absolutely necessary to getting on in life and responding to the gospel and listening to your commands, needs to have hierarchy to become an aware, a point of awareness. So those are the two things we've functioned. Today, we're going to step into standard child-rearing material. Issues of discipline. This first talk is on discipline. Uh, the piece of true discipline. And, um, and then affection, next session. And then dealing with teenagers, uh, the last session. Um, one thing that we don't um, recognize is how simple the argument is for discipline. The, um, um, the first slide here, if it's also in your book, um, the first, uh, they're on the left hand, right hand side. Um, nope, that's not it. Okay. It, it didn't show the first one after I clicked pause. Well, it. it's, uh, <laughs> I hate to be, that's the correct one on the Yeah, list. but it didn't go to it, so just, I'm going to select it. No, I mean, it, that's the oh. first one on the list, but it's not the first one here. Okay, uh, let's go there, see what happens. This is an important point. Um, this, the future, this is the future. Okay, now, it basically says, the self is created when pain and pleasure make you announce, I feel, therefore it matters. Discipline organizes what is usually chaotic and gives it direction. When a child is born, they don't know diddly, and they can't think about diddly. They cannot figure out their life. God has wonderfully given everybody pain sensors and pleasure sensors. And from the very earliest moment, they have the chaos of good feelings and bad feelings. Parents are this, besides an uh, 
the providing and all sorts of other things that we're there to do. We are left in charge of the discipline of their, the chaos that is pain and pleasure. And the reason you spank a child is not because you're angry and they tick you off. The reason you spank a child is because you can't reason with a child. The reason you roll up a newspaper and whack your dog on the nose when it poops on the living room carpet is because you can't reason with the dog. It understands pain, not as well as a child does, but it understands it. And but since it has no, you know, might say, developing philosophy, the dog is easier to train and stays trained. But uh, uh, the child figures it out pretty quickly. Now, they are, it's their only reason. And at a certain point in your rearing of your children, more reason capabilities enter, and you, the, one of the reasons you stop giving corporal punishment is, is because it doesn't work as well when the child is a rational being. And if you still need a lot of corporal punishment when they're a rational being, you probably miss the boat. It has an oddness that it happened when that's what they understand and that's what they measure. And they're trying to arrange their little sorry one-year-old rear end into some position that doesn't hurt and feels good. And they will challenge you on things. You think they might be Mussolini or something. They will challenge you. You can't, where did they learn this? From the kids at church? No, they just are developing a self they matter to themselves because they feel. You know how much it hurts when you have a headache. And it matters because it's your headache. And nobody else can be told how much it hurts. Nobody can tell you how much that feel, feel, felt good. It matters to you and it matters to the baby and they start to move their decision-making process in pursuit of pain and pleasure. Some of the discipline is in giving them pleasure and not giving them pleasure. In other words, demands of the child regarding, we'll cover that with affection. But it, there has to be a cost that intervenes. We talked a little on the porch last night about how quickly they try to start working almost Machiavellian nuances of uh, trading out, you know, willing to accept that pain for this kind of victory over you. If they can only make you mad while you're spanking them, then they walk away with a smile on their face knowing they controlled you to that degree. They got spanked, but they controlled you. They made you lose it and this is, you know, we're going to get to the, the nature of, of uh, uh, was it revenge is best served cold so spankings I mean that's never ever spank a child because you really want to unless you want to because it's kind of fun it says here in Hebrews 12 9 besides this we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them Kayla used that line all, at almost verbatim last night speaking of her great grandfather about how he had a limited set of spanking offenses, which he said, but he was strict, but we respected him. That's the, that's the end result. Because 
when the adult knows they're an adult and knows you're a child, and then the exercise of discipline is coming down to you from above, effective discipline creates respect because, Mao Zedong said, power comes out of the barrel of a gun. You respect force. Now, force is not always good. Uh, Mao Zedong was not good. Millions died. Stalin was not good. Hitler was not good. But you respect force and you obey force. So when God is more powerful than Stalin, and frankly kills everybody, everyone is disciplined by God. We realize because he is benevolent, it is coming down to us. This discipline it really agrees with your own conscience. You deserved it. So we have a respect for men or mothers who uh, discipline us representing a, a, um, a goodness and a holiness and are willing to dish out pain in regard to it. Now, when you look at discipline, you are realizing that, I thought of this before, uh, just this for the first time, that Galatians talks about this in the law, that it was a custodian. We needed a custodian. You are their custodians in their minority. Before they can think, decide, and accept the consequences of their thinking and deciding. Because if they thought and decide, it would be, you know, Tootsie Rolls all day long, wandering in the traffic, um, never changing their diapers, uh, not bothering with diapers, the, the life would be, they, they would be little feral children if they were making up their own minds. We need a custodian when we're young. God provides the law of a, of a, a lower law. They are not moved by the law of Christ's love or liberty or Christianity. They're moved by your punishments for their sins. And to realize that just like with the Jewish law, your law, especially when they're young, absolves them of their sins because their sins are against you. They're not against God. You, you violate, you sin against the law you know. And if they have not transferred lying from mom and dad don't want me to lie to God doesn't want me to lie, when they lie, they sin against their parents. And the spanking of the parent, they pay the, they pay the punishment. It will restore them to happiness. Because you're a temporary custodian. But when we reach our majority, when a child reaches its majority, it will have to deal with real law. You hand off what was law in your family over to God and life. Life and God will punish them now. So sort of thing is thinking of what you got to accomplish. Remember this is a job that gets to be over at a certain point. Somebody else is ruling your child at, a, at another point, not you. And you want to exchange maturity spiritually, emotionally, rationally to them. And you are a custodian for a time. So if you know what the job is, you're not trying to become more and more grasping as a parent. We'll look at that in, in affection as well. Some parents become more and more grasping. Mothers that can't stop kissing their babies. 
and then they can't stop kissing their young sons, and then they can't stop kissing, oh, just glomming onto, and they can't, uh, we always hear from other grandparents, oh, it must be so hard to have your grandkids on the other side of the country. No, not at all. Not at all. We almost applauded as they left after two weeks here. And I got lovely grandkids and lovely children doing a good job raising them. There are some people who emotionally, whatever they built, they were not building reality, which is, I am going to let them go, and that's going to be right and holy that I let them go. And if my emotions are not equivalent, they don't, people who parents who do not like their children moving away, that's a, uh, again, not that you like them moving away, but there are people who have a, um, an emotional issue about their children moving to another town to pursue a job because they've built something they don't want to let go. We're supposed to let it go. Now, one of the things that we have is that this, this was back to the one that you did before. You might want to go back to the... Let's just see what happens. You'll probably do it right. Let's see. This is 9 of 10. This is now 10 of 10. Nope. nope. Okay. It's uh, exit. 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 It was the... So pause it Maybe there. Maybe. Maybe we shouldn't be allowed to do things like this. <laughs> The Law of Lords is this. This is, I came up with this when I was writing um, uh, Jane's Progress on C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength and uh, trying to sum up what the task is. When you become an adult, you become in charge, the Law of Lords is this. The Lord is lifted up to make that peace which those that are below must kneel to enjoy. That's just summing up, a Lord has designed to order a situation, govern a situation. They're not just up, they're not just celebrities. We don't, we don't have a, a celebrity culture is not what the universe is. It is a nobility culture, which means those that are lifted up have a task over all those that were lifted above. They're, and they're there to make a peace. A civic peace, a military peace, a domestic peace, you know, whatever it is. And for those to enjoy the peace, they have to kneel. They have to recognize the Lordship. Now, discipline, and I don't know where you are, I've talked to some of you last night on the porch, and I don't know where you are at discipline, and I don't know what your emotional framework is about your children, and I know that it is possible that I will say things that you do not like or seem like I was picking on you in particular. I don't know. I, if I'm picking on you, uh, at least try to understand it. At least try to measure it out and go, but am I wrong? Am I here because I, I want to make some changes in my, my relationship with my children? When you recognize lordship and you recognize the duty to you, for you to make a peace as a parent, and you recognize that they must kneel to enjoy that peace, you realize that discipline is absolutely necessary. But because there's a, there's a peace that's hanging out there that's your responsibility to create. Uh, when a woman doesn't cook or clean for her family and the place is a hoarding wreck, 
Um, she kind of knows that she was responsible for that order and she did not maintain it. We sometimes start to make other worlds in which uh, supposedly the peace is better than the peace that that uptight family, you know, over there that is also precise and also lord-oriented and, and submission-oriented. There are pa parents that are um, that placate their children. They will get peace, what they think is peace, by placating their child. Um, they're trying to buy cooperation. Davis and Manish were telling us about uh, another autistic kid. They over-diagnose autism in the East. Every kid who slows down for a moment and thinks about something, they go, ha-ha! You know, you're autistic, and the parents are encouraged to get them into sessions with people who, of course, are paid to tell you. And one of the key therapies is called the M&M therapy, where this disobedient rat of a child who won't do anything his mother says, but it's a syndrome, they try to train him with M&Ms. Here is a family that is all about whole foods and organic this and free range that, but here the child is holding out for M&Ms and won't do anything until he gets an M&M. And they have to carry a stockpile of M&Ms. Um, to get them to do anything. And I was saying to them, you know, that's pleasure. And what do you get when you give pleasure as the discipline for doing the right thing? You got somebody who believes that not only do they get to do what they want to do, but they get to do it only for reasons of satisfaction. I said pain works really well too. They do it to avoid pain. Well, mom and dad's going to spank me. Not give me an M&M. Spank me. One of them teaches that the child is a threat to you. If I don't placate them, they're going to turn on me. This is a, a parent that doesn't realize, you know you're three times their size. And there's two of you. And they can't survive for five minutes outside the house. And somehow we're afraid that they're going to reject us. And they will, because they're stupid, will stamp their foot and go, no. And you know, again, the adult in you ought to go, you said what? Because it is not, it's when you think you are equal to the child. And the child is doing their best to keep you equalized so they can then claim, you know, I've said this about marriage before, when a wife says she's equal to her husband, she means I'm actually in charge. That's what it means. The child's doing the same thing. When a wife says she's equal, she says, anytime you try to make a decision, it's you trying to grasp your patriarchal power back, so let's always do it my way. Which means, hold it, no, that's not equal. I, don't, I need 50% of the time. No, no. Because if you do it any of the time, it's you grabbing at power. And the child will do the same to you, try to keep you guilted into believing your egalitarian notions about the universe. Recognize, that's why it's so important the last talk, that we're not equals. You're better than your children. 
So if you don't fear your child and their acceptance, and Riley was telling us about how funny it can be sometimes when they, when they disobey, it's almost comical, it's like TV, uh, uh, and begin to realize that your laughter sometimes works as a, not as a, oh, that was lighthearted, we're going to let them off because they made me laugh. No, I'm going to spank them anyway, but it was sure funny. They go, what kind of monster are you <laughs> that you would laugh at what I did and then hit me? <laughs> well, that's the kind of monster they need to believe you are. The other kind of parent is the over-involved parent. This is really big. There are so many things to do, so many gifts to give your children. <clears throat> uh, that uh, every lesson, everything, that I, I don't want to ever miss out on getting them involved in something um, that, that might benefit them. Because it's a series of um, it's a series of benefits. Now, what in both those cases is being done is both of them, the placating parent and the over-involved parent, are both trying to play the positive side of the inventory. The child's measuring pain and pleasure. They would like to make the pleasure pile bigger. So the parent has got enough money to take the family to Disneyland every year and then to two other vacations to the lake and to, you know, wherever else um, and get them into the kind of lessons they want to be involved in and get them everything they want. They're trying to raise the pleasure reaction and they're creating, they're creating an addict because nobody should be getting... Um, Shoot, I paused it but it kept going. Okay, I'm going to have to tell the people on the recording what's happening. Where are we? I was just had the last one on this page. Was it up there? Yeah, and I paused it. Give me the, it's going to keep going if it's... If it's oh my gosh, see this. Yeah, see? <laughs> see what's happening? This is... Give it a minute. Is he is like a three-year-old here? Okay. The the basic idea in all of this is that. Th Anybody who is a immature mind it's going just it's just still going, Evan. well then just let's give up on it. Yeah, it's becoming too much of a distraction. So to ignore this, <laughs> or you can just turn it off. That's the red button. <laughs> um, and now everything is on your page, just like in the Middle Ages. <laughs> people only have pain and pleasure, they naturally want to make the pile of pleasure bigger. You have got to be administering pain and administering pleasure at the value sets that they ought to be. Not at the value that everybody wants more pleasure. You know, you don't just keep on having more candy and having more food or sex or whatever the pleasure is. You don't just keep on going. Yeah, an orgiastic mindset is not what we're trying to create in our child. At the same time, you don't want everything to be just pain because they could become discouraged, they could become disheartened. Um, 
knowing what motivates what you choose to bring into their life in discipline. Because you need to know your motivations. And your motivations can be uh, I was about to look up here and go, you know, uh, our motivation is that they are to be disciplined so that they don't disrupt our lives. That they join your life in an ordered fashion. You wanted children, you knew that you were going to be issued something completely clueless, semi-retarded, and you got to do something with it. But your end result that you want to do with it is not have an applause uh, uh, audience there for everything they do. No, it is they are to step into the situation because your life is just beginning in an adult measure. Your life is at that point where your careers are beginning to get established. Who you are in your business life and in your family life, in your neighborhood, in your churches. You know, we're dying right now. We'll be dead by the end of the seminar. <laughs> but you guys have got some weeks on you, at least. So knowing that what you're building, that they are joining your life to not disrupt. You are not there in attendance to their every whim. It, yes. Something here? To the ladies, um, I've given this illustration many times talking to young mothers, that if you put yourself back 100, 150 years in time, you wouldn't have all the conveniences that we have today, and it would be almost a matter of life and death whether or not you got your work done at home. You have to provide food for your family, and you can't just run to the store and get a, a frozen meal. You'd have to wash clothes, and you wouldn't have a washing machine that you could just throw it into, push a button, and walk away. So in those times, women had to have their children disciplined and well-ordered so that they could accomplish the work that they had to do. Um, nowadays, there are so many conveniences that I think discipline has really taken a dive because the women feel like, well, I don't have to cook because I can just run and grab something from Taco Time for dinner or from Pizza Hut. And it, the, the effect of that on your, your household is all you ever eat is convenience food and your children are undisciplined and so what you have is chaos but if you think in terms of I have work to do to provide a wonderful circumstance for my family and the only way I'm going to get it done is if I keep my kids in control so that they know how to play without me hovering over them. And, and, and also in the, in the middle of that is once you have free time a mother many times think oh this is all time for me to play with my babies you know, do the, the pleasure principle in their lives. Driving them, my sister was in LA and she was the typical soccer mom, driving kids all over LA for various things. That's the over-involved parent. Because they have time now. Father's off at work, still was, back in the 1800s and now still is. But now, mom has time and wheels and a credit card. And things, instead of saying, but just because I have time doesn't mean it's supposed to be pointed at the child. The child has been denied because of opportunities where people saw business and dollar signs and want you to sign up for gymnastics. It's because they want your money, not because they want to raise your kids right. So realize that 
the free time you have can be a argument offered that you spend it on entertaining your children, but actually you might be doing them a disservice by not giving them the ordinate plan of life, which says, why don't you go entertain yourself? I'll read a book, you know. Go, go get a book and read it. Don't play with the kids. Play with the kids at the ordinate level. So just because you've got this skewed benefit of more time on your hands, uh, and you might like hanging out with your babies, ask yourself, is this ordinate? Is this what it ought to be? And, we, and you'll have differences of opinion. I, my dad, years ago, apologized to Doug and me. Uh, because he did it differently with Gordon. And everyone knows that Gordon is the Wilson everyone likes. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Gordon spent time with father. And my father apologized to Doug and me for not spending enough time. And we said, both of us, said to him, you're absolutely wrong. You spent exactly the right amount of time. You ruined Gordon. <laughs> you know, that, that Gordon is the most likable Wilson. But boy, that's not very fun. And we, felt, we didn't feel any lack of affection, any lack of discipline, any lack of attention. Nothing was costing us. So you're going to get different decisions at different times. The, the what is the, of Joseph was the son of Rachel, the woman Isaac loved, you know, and and so consequently, I mean, Jake, Jacob loved. You have different ways of responding at different points in your life, uh, but realize what you're doing is is claiming an ordination about things, and you will pay for the ordinate decision you make. Just like the maturity you're trying to exchange uh, is, is the ability to self-control in the express, uh, you might say the, the express ordination of things. That's what you're hoping to do. And your decisions about raising your kids are your claim that you are mature enough to make this decision. And no, no one owes you a positive end. No one owes you obedient children. No one owes you believing children. You get what you pay for. So when you make the decision, realize there's a huge range that can vary according to your child, the temperament, the circumstance, the, the century. But it matters what kind of self-expression of creating value uh, that you're going to pursue and, and bring into the child's life is um, is on you. And you'll be able to see it when you get there. You know, at the other end of the meter, when you're looking at your either unbelieving or believing child at 25 and realizing, yeah, I did that. You'll realize it. And you'll see why. And they might even be able to tell you the story of why. You won't enjoy that. Unless you did the right thing. Now, when we are faced with government, I have a few examples on page 17 at the bottom. Example of scheduling spoiling. You schedule children so that you are not put at your wit's end trying to keep up with the chaos of a child's life, that they are able to be kept up with the order of an adult's life. And spoiling, uh, 
just the mindset of who's gratifying whom? Who's purchasing? The child should be concerned about gratifying you. You are not concerned about gratifying them. The parent, you say, well, what's wrong with gratifying? Well, nothing wrong with gratifying a child. But if your motivation is to gratify them, that they would accept you, your tendency will be to only do the good, the beneficial things. We were talking on the porch last night about uh, Davis's in-laws who were visiting last week, and while they were here, the grandchildren were absolutely disobedient. They were fine until the in-laws showed up, but Grandma Achi and Sia, who don't believe in discipline, and yell at Davis and Manisha if they ever do, are totally disrespected by their grandchildren. Because the grandchildren know they're desperate to gratify them. To not hurt them in any way. And so the child goes, up yours. You know, basically. Which makes it difficult for the rest of the adults around because you've got to put up with these little non-Christians. But that is what you're dealing with when you deal with spoiling. Parents who think, or grandparents who think that that gratify the child so they I'll buy their affection. It never works. Never works. It, it starts ends up being like someone who's so desperate to have your affection isn't worth the child's going. You're not worth having as a friend. Initially, they go, "Hey, Grandma's great. She gave me another toy." And pretty soon, you know, this person is just a tool of some description. An example of dealing with um, d how your motivation changes what you're doing. We have an example here on eating. Um, we learned this late when Graham was a baby. So late, 27 years ago, 26 years ago. Third child. Third child. Hadn't figured it out. We went through the usual, um, eat what's in front of you. And we had the awful moment when Davis, trying to accomplish of an omelet, which he hate, despised, took a bite. At dinner with a bunch of people. Oh, a bunch of people. Looked at his mother. Mother, this is great of an omelet. And then threw up on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Because he really didn't like it. He was trying so, so hard, hard to be everything obedient. Yeah. Could not, could not violate his stomach. But a lot of parents, you you see that when finally parents decide to become rigorous. You're not getting up from the table till you finish the beans. And if you don't finish the beans tonight, they'll be on your breakfast plate tomorrow morning. We set the timer with Michael because she would sit there so long, and so I said, okay. You have five minutes to finish this food, and if you're not done, you're going to get a spanking. And she would just sit She'd there and freak up. out about the timer and wouldn't eat. Seize up, get the spanking. And, and, and the, the standard idea of putting the kid, get the spanking, you're back at the table because obedience, and you got to realize, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. They disobeyed. We punish them for the disobedience. Why do I put them right back in a disobedient moment, have them disobey me again? Why did I do that? What kind of unmerciful slob am I that says, you paid for your sin, let's see if you can do it again. Let's tempt you again. 
And with Graham, we realized, you know, that had kid out of will. And we realized, you spank him and send him off. Yeah, yeah you're done. You, you didn't eat your dinner. You paid for not eating your dinner. Oh, you'll probably be really hungry by breakfast because you're not getting anything else. I'm not going to make you another dinner. I'm not going to give you dessert. Those are, those are choices you made. You're a little bit of maturity coming home to you as karma disciplines you. But I disciplined you for the disobedience, not doing what you were told, not trying the food, not finishing your dinner. They did. And you, you learn these things about, about lying too. Don't ask the kid. You know they lied. You know they did it. Did you hurt your sister? Well, you're just gonna, what are you going to do? Oh, yes, Father, I did. Punched her in the face. <laughs> no, uh, they don't. They lie. No, I didn't do it. Well, I'm giving you a spanking for hitting your sister and for lying to me. But it, you're setting people up. Punish them because remember, they've got your number before you got theirs. You think you're all, you know, Solomon in the moment, and they spotted, what a bastard. <laughs> he is, uh, he's tempting me to evil. I did it, yeah, but what do you expect me to do? So, when they're actually guilty, and we haven't talked about the nature of, I haven't got past the first page yet. I know, we're um, well today. When you have disobedience, one of the basic things that that we're trying to communicate to some. Tyler was asking some questions last night on the porch. You, some of you know Lewis. <laughs> Lewis has got a pain tolerance that still manages to fight back in a, what is claimed to be a serious spanking. One of the things that you have in your arsenal is you don't know how much you've given away when you talk to them, when you warn them, when they see it coming. They begin to realize that they are a person that you are almost asking permission to spank them. Do you want to be into trouble, some trouble? Do you want to, if you do this one more time, there's going to be trouble? Because I know who's in charge here. And if you do spank me, you're out of line. So they're going to fight. They're going to fight like righteousness offended. That's why I say at the bottom of the page, whether or not they know they disobeyed, the discipline should be sudden and remorseless. Your eyes shall not pity, nor discuss, nor negotiate. One of the things that they don't ever see coming is the absolute, uncontrolled, unnegotiated, undiscussed reign of terror. Just, where did that come from? They didn't see it coming. You just took them to the bedroom and spanked them. I knew they did something wrong, but usually that's not how it works. We go to the UN first, right? <laughs> we go to the appeals court for mom first, but I talked to mom and she said it was okay. And they lie to you, and then you got to find out, and it all gets messed up. But no, grandfather grabs them, smiling, drags them off, does not explain the thing, doesn't tell them even what they did wrong, just spanks them. Because the child is immature. He's got no control, really, over the world. You've got a problem when he thinks he's got control. 
You got a problem when you start developing a little dance, you and the wife do, to get permission to spank him from your own conscience. So you either spank him only when you're angry, which you're in sin, or when you get permission from the kid. The, the, the spanking has been a negotiated settlement where, okay, all right, I'll take the spanking. They aren't realizing who's in charge. That's a, a, a the reign of terror if you want to talk to us about uh, it and the benefits of it. Um, one, two weeks, it's amazing how it clears the air. Sometimes two days. Two days. They just suddenly just obedient, docile children who will never challenge you for a long time because they don't know. The, the key thing, and when pain and pleasure comes into life, from the time they come out of the chute, they are trying to control the degree of pain and pleasure. That is the nature of self. Self is your concern that this pain and pleasure is felt. You want to control the chaos of it Increase the one, stop the other. That's the whole point of life. That's what we're all doing. It's all we all learn. And all of a sudden, somebody else's will, completely unexplained, is controlling how much pain. Some malevolent source is hurting you on the basis of their standards. Now, on a page 18, we have a little side thing, the cults of discipline. Postmodern subjectivists, Fabian moralists, and the patriarchs. Um, what I want you to uh, consider is your discipline is not, first off, making Christians. Your discipline is preparing the way for the Lord. That's what the law did in the Jews. It prepared the way. It was a shadow. It was a custodian. You keep them in order. You keep them well. They, they, you train their minds to work in conformity to reason. And you un introduce them to the scriptures. And you introduce them to the things of God. You can't make them Christians by discipline. But you can prepare the way for the gospel. And one of the things in discipline, because your kid's going to get away with stuff, Either someone didn't spank them when they should have, you didn't. A friend of mine asked me years ago, he called me up and said, uh, I know my son did this. He knows I know he did it. I can't prove he did it, and he also knows I can't prove he did it. We're all in agreement he did it. He's not confessing, because that would be proof. I'm, I know I can't prove it, but I know he did it. But he knows I can't prove it. I said, don't spank him. One, you just taught him justice. You don't spank for sins they didn't commit or sins you don't know they committed. So if he knows you don't know, you don't spank. Second, part of preparing them for the Lord, you are not trying to make a perfect goody-two-shoes little Christian prig who thinks he doesn't need the salvation of God because you ordered his life in a really religious way. The sins of the child, they know they lied to you when 
two years ago. And it bothers them that they lied to you. And that lie every once in a while is reminded to them in their conscience and they know they're sinners. Them getting away with stuff is part of the deal, part of the drill, part of what we're doing. Because God's got to forgive something. And if you think you could catch everything and punish it, um, it's going to be a pretty awful, the aroma around your house won't be good. Um, what when it says we, our earthly fathers just disciplined us at their pleasure, as we please. You discipline for what you set up as the home order. Um, and uh, a side point on that, my father um, generally was a non, there were not rules every which way you looked. Life was full of play, life was full of good times. He would tell us to do things and expect us to do them. He would spank us, I remember them vividly. But he also, as we grew older, his rules started to only be, you might say, moral rules that agreed with our conscience. And my father doesn't drink and he doesn't smoke. He knows I drink and smoke. He never would say, don't drink. You may not drink and you may not smoke. He knows that my conscience would then be on my side. I said, but I want to drink and smoke. And my conscience agrees with me. So it would be two to one against my Jim Wilson. And Jim Wilson would look like this overly controlling fundamentalist. But when Jim Wilson and my conscience agree, there was no question. I might still want to do, and I still might do the sin. But I was double teamed by Jim Wilson and the con my own conscience. I knew it was wrong for me to do. So whatever you set up, bear in mind that you could either be creating an aroma of a police state, the aroma of, of the kind of grace that has home order rules initially that slowly drop off as the child is given more maturity and then you're giving, granting them their own options of creating home rule. Uh, but then also you, you make sure that your understanding of moral rules while they're under your roof is in agreement with the conscience they have from God and Christ if they become Christians. Um, the, what I believe with the cults of discipline, postmodern subjectivists, you, you can't just say, I said yesterday that just because you're in charge doesn't make you wise. Okay? Wisdom is not conferred on you because you have been uh, given uh, stripes or, or, or uh, a kingdom. Well, I have the phrase here, a martinet which has his or her own way is essentially postmodern. You think that your opinion, because it is yours, has as much claim to being correct as any. You might be wrong. Being an adult, being the child's actual parent doesn't make you correct. You have to demonstrate you're correct. And sometimes the fear of being incorrect makes you pick up lock, stock, and barrel somebody else's. Your church's standards, uh, a book you read. You need to understand what you're trying to build. You're not trying to build something that you don't really know is the ordinate way a home should be. A martinet is a I have a definition over the Jean Martinet, 17th century French army officer, strict disciplinarian, above his rank, basically. Someone is a Martinet when they're acting as if they're Father Abraham and they're just your father. They're not Father Abraham. 
people who have an over sense, overweening sense of their own um, uh, authority. And if you are invalid in your opinion, the fact that the child will pick up the image you grant them, being they're either going to recognize you as a fool, and that'll be another reason why they rejected your faith and rejected you later on. Or you will turn them into the kind of prig you've become. Postmodernism believes that if I'm thinking, it's reason. No. If you reason, it's reason. Thinking, I would presume that toads think. People who are really stupid think. You see people walking around with handlers. They think. Not very well. Thinking is not reason. Reason is truth-bearing. Take your obligation to not be just assuming everybody gets to have their own truth be their own truth. That's postmodernism. You have to demonstrate that your truth has found the objective truth regarding families. The Fabian moralist, and these are not actual terms that exist, I just made them up. Um, Uh, one morning about the about the culture that we create with a, your own idea of a Christian culture. Culture doesn't work like that. If you get, if you ever get a chance to read Lewis's essay, Lilies That Fester, and some of you have read it, I know that because I assigned it to you. Um, if you if you read Lilies That Fester, he lets you know that people who try to insist on a certain kind of culture. I don't care if it's your church, your school, your family, your people, whatever kind of culture is being built consciously, it's about as effective as liberals building an economy. Okay? You cannot build a culture self-consciously. You have got to let culture grow naturally. There's a, I forget that, architect's name, Alexander, last name is Alexander, designed Seaside, Florida, um, which is the perfect town. It's the perfect town they used for the Truman Show. That movie. So perfect, your head explodes. Because you can't take it. It's not culture and architecture and charm as it develops, which everyone loves, but one man's idea of what building that charm from the ground up through one idea. Don't think you've got the capability, especially if you pull back, if your idea of what you ought to be doing is pulling back from the world. The world is producing a culture for your child to live in. Let them and respond to it. That's what the culture is. Don't try to make a different culture because it just looks silly. It's just like people who are into Lord of the Rings, and I hope it's none of you. You can't wear a cape. You think you can, and there's a lot of people that think they can. And they think all the girls are going to get all you know, excited because they have a cape on. <laughs> Don't do that in your home either. You can't make a culture. Deal with the free market. Now, when I say Fabian moralists, this is where, this, answer, this, is, this springs off of this idea of avoiding the culture. Um, 
when in Corinthians, here midway down the page, Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral men. And that's where most mothers stop. And, you're, and little Johnny is not going to associate. That's a bad child. You're not going to play with them. They're white trash. And this says, not at all meaning the immoral of this world, or the greedy, and robbers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. It's actually a passage that tells you don't hang out with the Christians who claim Jesus and don't live like it. Because you can't, you can't avoid the culture of the world. The sinfulness of the world is sin. You're greedy, robbers, idolaters. I didn't mean don't associate with them. They make up the world. And anything you try to avoid, Fabian, Fabius was a famous Roman general during the Second Punic War, and he uh, he loaned his name. His tactic was, let's avoid Hannibal. Let's always be kind of there, but never be close enough for Hannibal to engage in battle. And so he avoided Hannibal for a very long time. His, his reputation was shot, you know, because avoiding battle, but you don't want to fight Hannibal, one of the greatest generals in the history of the world. And most people lost to him. He never lost in the, in the peninsula. But now Fabius, uh, the name, it was attached to Beatrix Potter and George Bernard Shaw in the uh, latter part of the 1800s as they were called Fabian Socialists because they believed that you avoid confrontation, you don't try to create a Bolshevik revolution in the streets, you, you just let it slowly by attrition take over. That's what we've got today is Fabian Socialism. Parents function as Fabian moralists. They function as avoidance of orientation. So they can shelter their kids from sin. And they forget that their child was born with all the capabilities of sin. Well, you know, I, I hate to see it happen, but the Duggars just seem like they're a good Christian family and all these rules about how you look at your shoes or do this when a pretty girl walks by or yoga pants walk by with a pretty girl in them. More kids the better. Seem like nice enough folks until you find out that the older brother's molesting the younger sisters. Because sinners, eh? discipline, limitations, avoidance of the moral propensities of the world doesn't stop it. It's not a discipline. It's just, you're just throwing a surprise party for yourself. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm going to be an idiot. And I'm going to pretend, I'm going to dress him up like she's the sweetest thing and show a little bonnet like she's on the prairie. And when she turns out to be a whore, I will be so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I look for in life that kind of entertainment <laughs> now we have to recognize that the presence of the external culture needs to be the external culture's development with all of its sin and you need to encounter it because you are playing ping pong with those people you are responding to it 
We wanted non-believing friends of our children over at the house. We weren't trying to convince our kids that non-believers, you didn't play with non-believers. We didn't try to stop them from hearing swear words from Oliver. <laughs> who we found out last night swears up a storm. Any word, can he can turn into a cuss word. He seems nice. But we wanted those people around. My parents did the same. They had Bible studies for the neighborhood kids. At whatever age group we were, they would invite all the neighborhood kids we played with over for Bible studies, and they just kept changing the generation of Bible study as we grew older. Because they wanted what the world offered, and we're going to cover this in our last talk, what the world offered to be right there. Because Christianity is not made by flight. Christianity is not made by avoidance. I didn't write to you to avoid the world. I wrote to you who anyone who defamed the name of Christ. Avoid those kind of people, certainly. They call themselves Christians and they're, and they're rotten. Once you realize that the culture is there, the external culture is there as part of the task you face, and you know that your capabilities as a parent has to engage that, one of the basic things that you don't seem to be aware of is what kind of negative experience any society has with your child when you take them out into it. Because you don't have that constant back and forth going, okay, I need to, obviously little Johnny is, needs to realize that my word is law even at the mall. So what's got to happen when I get them, you know, they've got to find out. The reign of terror, that they don't even make a peep without checking with me. Because when I don't have that engagement with the world, the child has got some quick figuring to do. Room to run. They can't catch me. They don't want to be embarrassed by having to discipline me. And you communicate all that to them. You take them to church, you take them to the mall, you take them to a party. Suddenly you're in a situation that they're far more ready to experiment with than you are because you weren't reacting to the presence of culture in your life. You had the flight from the world, even to the point where your family does not show much hospitality. You're trying to keep all the privacy and, and tightness and intimacy so that whatever happens, you can control, but then you find out you're out of control when you get out in public. You are, if your child is rebelling, in public, because it can, it's called a prophecy. Because a little later, they have more freedom than that. They're bigger. They think more. They actually want more. And you're not going to be able to stop them. Now, as you You know, various things you are juggling in this moment. You're juggling the culture, you're juggling your own standards in the home, you're juggling your own lordship, you're juggling the lordship of Christ. What, what is making me the kind of person I am? I am a Christian father, mother, uh, ruling the lives of somebody that isn't a Christian yet. I need to, at some points, decrease. 
so that Christ can increase. The custodian must always do that. And the acceptance of that circumstance, even when you're not quite done. Because in a group this size, there's going to be some of you who didn't get done by the time you need to be done. And you're, again, you're only hoping they go to a crew meeting and get saved. And that kind of, uh, it's a tragedy, and we know a lot of our friends live with it, but it's not, uh, it's not something you got a choice about. That, that takeover has to happen at some point. Um, I have on the side here the one pull-out quote, we stop stupid, we punish evil, we don't let our fears augment our control into an injustice. We don't want to have other things that aren't real. Fears of problems make us more and more strict. Because loved parents, loving parents who are loved parents, who are lords in their system, who punish strictly in a limited amount of punishments are so respected they don't need any more than that. If you successfully discipline between the age of one and four, you will not discipline, frankly, much at all between five and twelve, eighteen, whenever they leave home. You won't. Because you've made a good situation. People who start reacting to their fears to guide their punishments, uh, and mothers can be heavy in this area, um, sometimes fathers who've got certain insecurities about things. Uh, fathers also uh, look at punishment as a way to express their revenge and anger. And that's, again, not uh, legitimate to... One, it doesn't, it doesn't discipline adequately. It just means I learned that my father's angry at me. And when he's angry at me, he hits me. So when I'm angry at my kid, I'm going to hit him. Now, the, the, um, on the next page, on page 19, and we talk about the full-butt apocalypse, um, is best served cold. That's like the reign of terror. It depends which image you like better. Reign of terror, I, we always use that. Uh, but somebody used the phrase full-butt apocalypse. Was it our children? Davis, I think Davis, uh, and we said it was amazing, the change that occurred at Alex. Um, um, you've got your own decision. This is not a, a church decision about what you do in your home. You could say, I believe that my children should make the bed every morning. My father had that belief. We were trained to make the bed in a military fashion. My father would come in with a quarter, and if he could bounce it on the sheets, bed was made. Now, he's a lot nicer now. We didn't get spankings for bad bed making, but we made the bed. One of the rules, some of you have teeth brushing, some of you have, have uh, I don't know, what else do you have? Lying still when you're getting your diaper changed. Lying still when you're getting your diaper changed. That's pretty early. That was a, a Wilson standard as well. Um, you're setting your own. You're setting your own home order. You want to not just be making an order because you can. People who love to micromanage everything, 
you're that kind of person, you probably shouldn't breed. If you are capable of actually assigning a value to the order you're trying to create, is this really valuable? Is this really necessary? Sure, the kids all line up when father blows, blows the bosun's pipe, and, and but shouldn't they be allowed to play in the yard some and get a little dirty some and and not come home quite on time some? Whatever the but you need to you need to excuse or argue for or justify what it is you're creating. But you're going to punish with pleasure and pain. You're going to reward or discipline with pleasure and pain. Some things are going to be automatics. Uh, Larry Lucas called them automatics. Which is if you hit your sister, that was one in our family. If she hit us, it was not, oddly enough, an automatic. That's why she's so awful today. I think that's why one of us told Dad that she broke her arm doing what she shouldn't have been doing because we wanted her to get it. She did it. She got a spanking before she went to the hospital. She had her arm set. Whatever the basic things that whatever you're setting up is your system, you've got to say, yeah, does that have what kind of aroma does that have? What, what kind of house do you walk in and go, how do I get out of this outfit? Or, or this is really nice, this is peaceful. Kids seem to be happy. Kids when kids run up to their father to sit on his lap. When kids run to the guest to sit on their lap, my father always said, that was a sure sign. Something was up. When they wanted male attention desperately that they didn't grant to their father. Whatever the case, the pleasure should please them. The pain should hurt them. It's a, uh, I say it's almost simple, but tragically, people think, I'll give the story of my son Davis because he's been, he knows this story gets told. It has nothing to do with discipline. It has to do with raking the yard. I asked him to rake the yard. I saw him go out. Yeah, I don't know what age he was, but he had a rake. There was the yard. He proceeded to pass the rake over the whole surface of the yard. I picked, maybe he picked up two, three leaves <laughs> with the rake. The purpose of raking the yard became... We came back in and said, I'm done raking the yard. And I looked out, there's all leaves over the yard. I said, what do you mean you're done raking the yard? All the leaves are still out there. But he had literally done the act. He had obeyed me without, a, without, without effect. I thought, you know, he's never going to be employable. <laughs> this, is our, this is our bright kid? <laughs> you always expect him out there with the tines up, you know. Uh. <laughs> And that's what a lot of parents do. They go to a seminar on spanking. And so the mom, who's really not really, really into this, whap, whap, whap. <laughs> oh, we spanked him. Oh, no, we spank hard. Whap, whap, whap. No, through the butt. Aim for a spot on the floor. Swing to that. Sting it so bad their breath comes out of the breath. <gasps> now, I know what that's like. My father spanked me with a ping pong paddle. Oh, those are good. <laughs> Wide surface, 
Sometimes they have little pimples on them. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was designed for smacking something. And uh, I can remember being hit in the butt with a rubber book strap. You guys don't remember this because you didn't grow up in the Depression like I did. Um, rubber book straps were used. They're like a big rubber band you round around your books to hold them all together before they invented backpacks. Some kid on the playground decided, hey, this would be great to shoot Evan in the rear with. And pulled this rubber band that is about the thickness of this recorder. That's the rubber band rubberness. Nailed me. I could not. It seemed like I could not speak for weeks. I was... Uh, it hurts so bad. No harm, but it hurts so bad. Now, little rebellious Johnny across your knee knows pretty quickly who gives the hard spankings and who doesn't. Our kids pled, let mother spank me. Once it became clear they were going to get spanked. Let mother, well, what is that? You just gave that away. Let's have a talk with mother about what she's doing. And she, uh, she gave it her all, but she's a chick. <laughs> but an awful lot of people, they're like Davis in the yard with the rake. They think that I'm doing the thing. Doesn't God owe me placid children now? <laughs> no, because you didn't hurt the bastards. You didn't sting them. And it's amazing. Frankly, the reign of terror, if you haven't done it, oh man, do it. A week of just hauling them off from just almost invented crimes. Practicing your swing. <laughs> Set the number. Don't have some sort of regulatory legal framework which minimum sentencing guidelines or this, that, or the other. Just say, you're getting a spanking, you're getting 10. That's it. That's what spankings are in the Wilson household. You got a spanking, you got 10 of the ripest and juiciest. Now that meant I knew what I was doing, I knew how to maintain my pace. And then I had to get to ten. You switch cheeks. Five for each. They could count. I used to count when I would spank them. And there's a certain point where there's anger in their voice. First there's denial, frustration, anger. And then finally, oh my gosh. They're not stopping. She's only at six. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him, I suppose. That's in the Bible. Um, now, as we said before, this is a vanishing authority. You always got to have your civil authorities. Whatever kind of authorities yeah, you have economic authority and so forth, but this is designed to grow up your citizen to a place where they don't need what you were doing. There's a fondness, an honor that they always have for you throughout your life, but you don't get to discipline and command them anymore. If your discipline has to get stronger with age, you failed. Simple. Give up. Don't try to discipline if you didn't do it when you were supposed to and now the kid is 15 and you're trying to push all the toothpaste back in the tube. You're trying to ground them, you're trying to punish them, you're trying to take things away from them, you're trying to 
you're just trying to be awful in their lives which just means that you, you know you failed to there's age appropriate discipline here we have in the middle of page 19 Oh, it says there at the top, discipline your son while there's hope. <laughs> Do not set your heart on his destruction. And Leslie may have some things to share here because she has some great moments of, of joy. Letting them cry regarding scheduling. That's probably your first step where they are signaling to the world, this must cease. I must be gotten up. You were holding me earlier and I like that. Don't put me in here. I'm going to cry. Do not get up. Do not rescue them. Leslie, what did you always do when they wouldn't stop crying? I would, uh, if they cried for too long when they were supposed to be going to sleep, I would walk into the room. Um, I wouldn't touch them, but I would just say in a really firm, hard, hard voice, you're being naughty. Go to sleep. And then I would walk out so that they they know mom heard him crying. Mom came, but she didn't pick me up. Yeah. You know, it, she just sounded really mad and, and left again. And didn't ever come back. And my gosh, I've learned all sorts of things tonight. There's no point in me crying for three hours. That's just exhausting. I don't enjoy it. There's no good to come of it. And I'm less of a human being. They learn the humility. Adding the second one, adding firm declaration. That's where, when the SWAT, the 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 uh, the limitation gets the words attached to it, like naughty or no. So, because you want to train them in the language that is that are the things that they need to respond to when you say no, when they're running for the street. And you better have their name and know that they will stop on a dime when they hear you yell no. Then you add thigh and hand swats, adding pain to the no and stop it. And, then that's, and those are for the times when your child is starting to be mobile, but they're still really young and you see them moving towards something that you don't want them to touch and you say no but they touch it anyway you can't stop get the diaper off and smack the bottom fast enough for it to communicate but just squatting the hand I don't know five six times and saying no it's immediate and they know exactly what to connect it to it was what they just did um, and until they're old enough to maintain the thought of what they did wrong long enough for you to get them away and get a, a spanking done, you got to just keep it to hands or thighs. And, and this, you, since some of you are raking retards and you think that the little hand pulled out and you're going now that communicated, that was like okay, she said no, that was an exclamation point. Well, it's interesting she did that interesting movement that didn't hurt Evan. Why would it hurt anybody? Well, because you don't know how to turn the tines down and pick up the leaves, that you need to probably try smacking your husband's forearm until it hurts. 
So he, because he can tell you, no, honey, no, no, no. And now he's going to, of course, man up. You know, of course that doesn't hurt. Yes, I'm bleeding, but no, it doesn't hurt. Um, so there you, hopefully you have an honest husband who knows what you're trying to do. How hard do I have to smack that forearm to actually have it be, ah! You want to hear him cry? That helps, but I also know parents are deceived by the cries of disappointment, the cries of annoyance, the cries of, you know, anger, um, and, or the kid who knows, oh yeah, I'm supposed to cry. And I, I've known a number of kids like that who, who went off and cried on cue. You're not giving them a cue to cry. They're crying because it hurt. That, again, even if you try it on yourself, slap your forearm until it's no longer a, oh, that was startling. You want to startle them. I want to discipline them. Then the full butt apocalypse. Pick a number and always use it. They're, they are crafty and will see lawyer for a lower sentence once they know there is a variable open. You're supposed to sting, not hit. Hit is when you want revenge. Hit is when you're trying to hurt and damage. Because you're trying to execute some kind of wrath on the wrongdoer that is um, expressive of how wrong you feel you were wronged. Uh, and on that, if, if your children are at that age where they're getting full butt spankings, don't add to it a long lecture. That is really discouraging to a kid when they've just endured a spanking and then you go on and on and on about... Lying. Yeah. And and what a child. Just Get it over with. If, if they're young enough to spank, they're young enough to be absolved of their sin by the spanking. You don't have to read them the riot act, telling them which way is up and which way is down. You, you kind of feel like, well, oh, I'll be a good parent and so forth. Just assume it works. Assume that, that just like you went in without explanation, don't withdraw with explanation. On the way out, say, done. No longer an issue. Love you. Hug. But you're not trying to... Uh, you, you risk a lot by trying to set up the mindset. And if you're at the point where a discussion is good, even then you don't want to lecture. Okay? Um, the end of corporal punishment, and that lasts for years, by the way. The, the butt... Diapers are sort of the in the way of the butt access. Once the, the, the diapers are no longer there, pants could come down like, like just like lightning. You know, and you, you'll develop, if you want practical pointers about how you bend a child over your knee, there are some real practical ways of, practical ways of doing it, but um, uh, you probably need to wait on, on, unless your child is late at potty training and early in sin. Um, you might uh, have well, a problem. Kelly O'Brien was telling me just this week that when her kids were of spanking age and they were visiting John's parents, um, John's parents really disapproved of spanking. So they would take him into the back bedroom and obviously the kids were enough controlled to obey this that they would say, lie down, put your face in the pillow, 
so that when they cried, they wouldn't be heard. <laughs> and they would get their spanking while they were visiting grandma and grandpa. Um, but they would have their face in the pillow. I thought that was great. I miss those days. <laughs> At the end of, you know, ending your corporal punishment of your children, which is sort of a inevitability. We picked 12. You want to stop before their sexual maturity starts to be an issue about who spanks them, you know, and embarrassments about their the privacy of their naughty bits, you know, um, open to the breeze and getting disciplined. Um, there's, there's just some things that it's helpful to be done before puberty. You need to be done before puberty. It should have been, I think most of my kids got a last spanking at 12 uh, after a hiatus of years. I mean, if, you're, if you do the deed the way you're supposed to in the first four years, you have got so little spanking to do after that. It will happen. There'll be maybe a lot of spankings every 15 minutes before they're four or five, and then you're going to have a spanking once a week, and then you're for a few years, and then boom, you got nothing. And then finally you found they stole a, something from the local five and dime, and they needed a spanking for it and make restitution. Yeah, you'll find out about something like that. When you move past court, you know, they're still in your home. You can't pull their pants down and, and, and administer justice. But they're still in your home, so they've got to keep your rules. And you got to, If you've done the right thing, if you've done the wrong thing, you've got another task on you. The task, if you've done the wrong thing, is um, the gospel. If you did the wrong thing, you've got to lead them to Christ. The Holy Spirit can do work wonders with somebody who's a massive sinner, including your child. And so that's what you're about. And uh, uh, Phil was talking about last night, the degree of saturation love, that the, the absence of, of affection when they were younger that you weren't doing as part of the discipline, um, uh, you, need, you can repay that. You can fill them back up. You can make them enjoy being your child again. But it's really the gospel that's going to change them. Uh, uh, but you can talk to rational people. And when we say talk to, we don't mean lecturing. We mean defining and discussing. Punishment should have faded because that was only there because they were virtually animals. They didn't understand anything but pain and pleasure. When they can understand, they can decide to obey. Now, if you have finally a situation, even in their late minority, that deserves discipline, you don't want, it's not a a physical pain discipline, but don't have it be things like grounding. That's such a weak sauce, parenting. You're grounded. It's not like Butter's parents. And nobody respects Butter's parents. And and some of you know, I don't know who Butter's is. Uh, somebody. Um, 
you want it to be something that they can't have for a short period of time because when a punishment lasts too long it becomes a point of bitterness because the mind begins to think this is I'm still grounded and it's three weeks since I did that but you know give me your phone you have no phone for the rest of the day you know it needs to have a, a tight yes I deserve this yes it's over within a you know a well, it says that in Ecclesiastes, I think. Uh, um, uh, where did I put it? Where the... Chapter 18. Where it gives a sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The hearts of the sons of men is fully set to do evil. You need to be, just like from an infant, they need to put the connection between the pain and the crime. The same is true with the discipline that the resolution that fulfillment of it, and Lewis argues against retributive or remedial punishment, that parents want punishment that the child will think about their crimes and repent. Sending them to a penitentiary. (coughs) We believe in punishment, punitive discipline, where the discipline is achieved. You got the flogging. You, 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 You took the pain and you're done. You've paid for it. But if I have to go serve 20 years, that's what penitentiaries are, grounding. You get grounded, and you have to supposedly learn how a new trade in the, in the prisons. Once you've, you've gotten um, that, not lecture, but discussion, you realize that you're, com- you are compa- uh, you're learning about your own standards and you're also learning about what kind of moral things am I bringing to bear. I'm introducing them to the understanding of our morality as Christians, assuming they've become Christians somewhere in that situation. Um, if you are strict, if whatever kind of strictness you employ, you had better be as strict about yourself as you are about them. They better not see you getting special time off from I guess the California State House just uh, decided that they would be able to carry guns, but none of the citizens of California would be able to. Saw that in the news today. Okay, that's helpful. Consistent. And then the last step in the discipline is you relinquish them to life's discipline. They will always be disciplined. You want to send them out with maturity so they dodge the bullet pretty regularly that the things that the world will slap them with doesn't happen to them. Everything from speeding tickets to sexually transmitted diseases, whatever it is. Financial ruin. You you know that you're giving them over to their own decisions. It's a big gulp moment. We had, you know, our kids again didn't rebel, but they're not geniuses. And we want to, sorry about that kids if you're listening to this. And you wonder, how many lessons did they learn? Because there's not, not a final exam where you say, okay, tell me everything you learned, then I'll decide whether you get to go out on your own. There's a reward, there's a cost to their choices out there. Um, now, mercy. Mercy. Because 
you are not trying to make just the image of true descent be the hairy thunderer, which get rewards for obedience and punishes for disobedience. It's not all bad. It's not all punishment. You reward the child. Yes, you were good, Johnny. You raped the leaves and all the leaves aren't there anymore. Here is a, what do you get for a, a popsicle? Here's 20 bucks. But those are all, they paid for that. They paid for their sins with their punishment. They paid for their goodness with a reward. They got rewarded. Mercy is different. Mercy is when they deserve to be punished. Because you don't want to just teach them that God is law and order. You are an image of the Creator. You are a Christian. You're a father. So many Christians who struggle have father issues about God the Father because they have father issues about who their father is. It defined it for them. And there were sometimes in situations where I said to whatever the child upstairs, you deserve a spanking for this. Trot him upstairs, they're in tears, they're waiting for the inevitable. And I said, look, this is something you did, you deserve a spanking. You know it deserves a spanking. And I would like to give you a spanking. I enjoy giving you a spanking. But I'm not going to give you a spanking. Mercy is not receiving what you ought to have received. You know, it, it, I, I, that was Corey's uh, definition. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Um, God's gift to us is grace. God's mercy to us is not giving us what we do deserve. And sometimes, not because you're tired, not because the sin wasn't that bad, so you're going to go all merciful on the low-end stuff. But merciful when they really know they deserve it. When they really know a spanking is in order. So that they know that they are put right with you for nothing. Because coming to grips with the nature of mercy... Just like when we talked about humility and you ask you, how do you know you're teaching your child humility? Because you know how important it is. Well, you know that mercy is important to know the meaning of the word. And you can't just tell them the meaning. It's nice to be able to go, you know how when you lied to your mother and I was going to spank you and I decided not to because we were just going to forgive you, just have mercy on you. You know how you felt? That's how it is with the gospel. God having mercy on us. But it has to be that you've set a pattern of expectation that they do wrong, they get a spank, spanking. They do wrong, they get a spanking. Because if you don't have that expectation already in place, the mercy is just you being weak. Yeah, it, 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 right. It's, it's, it's sounding like, it's sounding like, so this is part of their, if that helps them sleep better at nights, that they call it mercy, but really it's laziness. Really, if they don't want to hurt the kid. Yeah, you have to have it uh, be um, held up against the, the, the standards that you have. Um, the next point is, is about having how strict you are. Um, 
when it says don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged also in Ephesians fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and it seems like those were almost in modern Christian cultures opposites if I bring them up in this instruction and admonition of the Lord of course it's going to make them angry of course it's going to well that's because the kind of Christianity we're selling back to the first lesson I was telling my dad about it this morning when I, get, I had to get him up and, and uh, it was a we were both laughing about it how little Christians know about the religion they claim to be in they don't, they don't know the first thing about what kind of Christianity they should be leading and so they replace it with everything their church told them to replace it with or everything that some Christian book told them to replace it with it's no longer the gospel the righteousness and the wisdom of God it's no longer the fruit of the spirit it's just a whole bunch of Christian busyness so if that is the discipline and instruction of the Lord is all that Christian busyness eh, yeah you're going to be disobeying the passage while you're trying to obey it if you're introducing them to Jesus Christ it's a far greater thing if you understand what Jesus Christ is so when you're strict do we have valid reasons is it just strictness for strictness sake um, just because you can command you do command are your reasons they can be so we encourage you to be self-interested in your reasons because you're trying to make them comport themselves in such a way that it's not a hindrance to your life you're trying to run a, 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 a proper ship but selfish reasons are different than self-interested reasons if your children are looked at as free servants that we created a degree of obedience where you're lying out in the lawn chair eh, honey uh, give me a beer now nothing wrong a lot of daughters or sons would be happy to get their parent a beer if the, the love was there but you've got to say is my standard and now that's not a rule that you get beers um, is my standard self-interested or is it selfish where I am just using it as a uh, uh, an ATM for me to get circumstances and gains out of if we are angry people annoyed people those aren't and people who and I'm the last person to talk to about that I, I don't get angry but I, I've known uh, some angry people and they base their reasoning for their strictness on trying to avoid I'm going to take these situations and not make it possible for them to get me angry it's just sort of an expression of their anger and it happens anyway then they're really angry um, you don't want to be in a situation where you only discipline when you get angry enough some, I mean that's a standard notion because people learn it from their parents that I got spanked when my dad got ticked off enough annoyed enough that was it not what is my what are my what are 
what, the, what are the principles that I am, I am putting into place? Moral standards, house rules, things that are automatics. If you don't think about, it goes back to that quote that we begin everything with, by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge it is filled with very great riches. Precious and very great riches. You have to think about what it is you're doing because if you don't think, you really will just feel like I'm going to spank when I, I'm ticked enough to get out of my chair. And you've all heard probably my father's story of, and I don't mean to share it because it's my brother getting spanked. Though it's satisfying. And I was there. Remember it in the living room on Genesee Street? I'm sure it was Genesee Street. It might have been North Cherry Grove. Mother had called Doug to get his bath. Doug had not responded. Doug continued to play with his trucks. My father, preparing for a Bible study, sitting in his chair, looked up, noticed Doug, unmoved, playing with his trucks. The voice came down from the stairs again. Doug, time for your bath. Doug did not move. And my father had stopped reading his Bible and was looking at Doug. And then at some point, he said, Doug, did you hear your mother? Doug's response was slight. Didn't move very quickly at all. Another voice from upstairs, Doug, it's time for your bath. Get up here. And according to my father, Doug found his inner molasses and just <laughs> slowed way down. Just. And so my father was out of the chair and spanked him all the way up the stairs. And then had to go downstairs, get his Bible, get out in the car, go off to lead a Bible study, which he could not do. Could not leave, could not <coughs> go teach the Bible study because he knew he'd been angry at Doug. So he had to go in Confess it to God, go in, and let Doug know that he was wrong for spanking him in anger. Doug was a sinner, absolutely. Needed to be spanked. But if that's what, if the only thing that gets you out of your chair is your anger, is because you want to have motivation, uh, you, want, you want to be passionate. This goes to another lesson we didn't cover, uh, that people who think they live by their ignorant passions, that that's enough. And whatever ignorant passions are of mothers and whatever ignorant passions are of fathers, you think you can run a reasonable household um, of discipline, you're not going to do it. And you're going to teach everything wrong. You're going to do everything wrong. Your kids are not going to turn out, except that they get saved. So you need to... You need to know what it is you're attempting know what your standards are so that when they violate it and you don't feel like spanking, you need to. Because you're living under the same strictness you expect them to live under. You don't get to go, um, lying's not a big deal this week. I'm too tired. You know what the automatics are. You know what you're trying to shape. Now, 
one of the basic problems of being in charge is the temptation to think that the only way your word is a disciplining word is if you say no. Little kid asked for a Coke? No. No, you can't have the candy bar. Always saying no. Because the only way you feel, well, if I tell them they can have it, they get what they want. Well, yeah. They are disciplined enough to ask you for the candy bar. Sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say no. If you say no, you want good things for your child. Which of you asked for a, a, a bread by your child is going to give them a stone? You, you know how to give good gifts to your children, right? But sometimes when we think about our being in chargeness, we become all Nazi-like and say, no, it's going to be denial every step of the way. Recognize that once you know what, is, what it is you're doing, you're not just trying to prove you're a disciplinarian. You're not just trying to prove that you're willing to spank. You're not just trying to, you're not play acting any of this. You've got a reason for doing it. Well, the last stuff is a bunch of passages of scripture. Um, you want to be sure that the test, and we're going to get into how to know whether you did a good job later on, but the current situation ought to be you as Lord making a peace. And your discipline gets them to bow the knee to you to accept the benefits of that peace. Your peace ought to be a, a richness that you've all enjoyed. It's one of the things, unspoken, that will keep your child obedient in public. If you're getting off the rails a little bit and you're starting to create a, a tyranny or an unpleasant aroma of discipline in your home, the child has got reason to try to break for freedom. The fact that you are strict and you yell at your kids and all sorts of other things doesn't make you um, a, a solid disciplinarian. You're in sin when you do those things and you want to be in peace when you do those things. Your child wants to, needs to have a view of you that says, my parents' life in our home, I really like it. I, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather play here. You want your kids to think about playing here than playing at somebody else's house. They will play at somebody else's house occasionally, but if they prefer to play at your house with their friends, it's because they feel more peace in your house. Now, I mentioned this bit on justice before. You want to teach all of the virtues in um, if we can. Can you get by there? Humility, patience, justice, mercy. All of those things you might want to put out in front of you. If you know what it is you're supposed to live like as a Christian, say, how am I passing on knowledge of this to my children? When do I show them mercy? When do I teach them humility? Same is also true um, um, on the situation where, where justice needs to be uh, seen by your 
not disciplining when a discipline might be helpful. Um, failing about this, I have it's just a short section out of Samuel about uh, the sons of Eli. We say, David, man after God's own heart, his children, Absalom, Amnon, Tamar, a mess. Uh, it's, uh, it's all part of fathers not being involved, people not, they're caring for their own devotion. Here is David taking all the time to write all these psalms that are just great. A real heart before God. They're part of your holy scriptures, and yet he was raising awful children. So it may have been their culture, may have been the too many women in the harem, might have been too many mothers, might have been too many, too much blood on David's hands, or Eli um, not being able to correct his sons, and God had to kill him. We have to stand in the way of things that are inappropriate. Doug always used to say that you don't like what your child is doing, make him stop. Simple. But it's not hard for you, a bigger person, to make your child stop. The question then is under what philosophic ground, what, what shape of me am I doing it? Am I doing it as a passionate individual, always losing my temper? Or am I doing it as a principled individual, showing them grace, showing them mercy, showing them pain, uh, letting them know which wind is up? I have a small article for you to read at your leisure on why French kids don't get ADHD. You know this is serious. I can't stand the French. So if, I'm my, if I am actually complimenting them here, it is a study done on why French kids don't have this problem, and it's because their home lives, oddly enough, for all the other failures as a nation, their home lives are really well structured. And that's what they found out. Mom and Dad didn't want to get, get away with anything. And what we call ADHD, well, whatever syndrome you invent is really a child's invention of a kind of disobedience. And we're not big fans of syndromes here at the Willstown. Um, if you have a difficult child, you probably made him. And don't let the world excuse you because if kids with those problems don't happen other places where discipline does, probably was you. And if you were wrong, confess it before God. Don't just go, oh, I'm glad I went to that session because now we can do it. But if you were wrong in the way that you, you, you lost ground with your child and you know that God wanted something else, take it to God. He wonderfully forgives. There's not a problem with that. Just say, Lord, I know I was wrong. I would like your forgiveness. Help us understand where we're going next. Well, where we're going next is lunch. Um, I almost talked for two hours that time. We're talking about affection at what time? One? Well, if you go 1.30, we'll be done at 3.30. And then we have a half hour break and then, and then four, four to six. six. Okay. What, so what that means coming back here at 1.30? Yeah, so we get an hour and a half. Hour and a half for lunch. Um, and there will be, uh, it'll be a Mexican buffet shortly. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much for this lunch and for this pleasant day. In your son's name, amen. amen.